one of the biggest thing I find about American cities are very automobile oriented versus like, I would say in Toronto area, like it is still car oriented, but like the city of Toronto right now, like we're doing a lot of transit oriented developments. So mixed use communities and like transit first. It sounds crazy, but like, I think Vox, have you heard of Vox, the YouTube video? Mm-mm, no. Uh, oh, okay. So I can share a link in the chat soon. Yeah. Basically, they did like a, a whole video titled Why Public Transit in U.S. Sucks. And, and I know they kind of did like the whole outlook map of Chicago metro system where they actually brings people into downtown versus outwards, which is kind of intuitive. But then when they describe Toronto as a transit, although a lot of Torontonians would be arguing that Toronto transit sucks, but... I disagree because Toronto Transit is actually pretty reliable. Yes, you might get delays about one to two minutes, maybe more like 10, but at least you know that it's there for you. You don't always have to be worried like, okay, if I miss my bus, am I going to still make it to my job type of worrying, you know? It's more like, okay, at least I'm late by like four or five minutes. But it depends who you ask. But I think the transit in Canada is very reliable. Uh, But yeah. Yeah. How you yeah. yeah. I mean, that one or two minutes late, I think it sounds way more reliable than when I was living in New York City. You know, some trains, they don't even come. Like, I still remember one time I got stuck, like the train got stuck in the middle of the tunnel for like half an hour. And it's not unusual. You know, things like that happens a lot in New York City. Either there's construction going on, so the trains don't even come, or they come like you know, 10, 20 minutes late. So compared to Toronto, I think Toronto's public transportation system sounds pretty reliable relatively to to, to what I have been. No, it must be like a really frustrating experience to like go through all that. And then, Mm -hmm. but one thing I've learned from my urban planning friends is that the TTC, we call it Toronto Transit Commission. uh, Mm -hmm. What they would do is, They'll make sure the subway buses, the, the buses and the subway or the metro, you call it, kind of run at the same time. So then let's just say you get off XYZ uh, subway station. And when you get out, the bus that you're next to transfer to should be up and ready. So it's kind of mm-hmm. like in-time coordination, which is I thought is pretty neat. Because when you think about it, running a transit is not like a simple operation. Just drive a bus right? It's like, you have to make sure everything's on time and you want to make sure everything is up and ready, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. See, I don't know much about the Toronto commercial real estate market. So it's always good to learn, especially on the urban planning side. I, I feel like a lot of the people in commercial real estate, majority of the people like to talk about the, the deals, you know, closing deals, the cap rate, all of these financial stuff. We rarely get panels or webinars talk about urban planning side of commercial real estate, which I think it's very important. So it's always great to learn about this sector of commercial real estate. Yeah, totally. I mean, I think we can kind of talk about both like the urban planning side and also like the the deal size in commercial real estate in Toronto, if you want. I just love the urban planning side just because one, I think that's the, the field study that drew me into real estate first. It wasn't really like mm-hmm. the deals. It was more like, oh, development yeah. sounds exciting. Like mm-hmm. imagine you get to work on a project that's like, and then you can point to your friend. Oh, I was part of that project in the city. Say, mm-hmm. oh, good job. Yeah. You know? the, the deal size, I think 
that's just another aspect of it. And I mean, yeah. real estate industry is super broad, right? Would you say? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And some of the well, we don't have a set topic for today's episode, which is the best type of episodes for my podcast. It's just friends conversation with no set topic. And well, that's what makes my podcast fun. So one of the series that I like to do with my friend Jeremy is the book series. And we talk about books and history. And a lot of the times we go into the, the history side of the city itself because he's from New York City and I'm from Las Vegas. So we always talk about how these cities got built. And there's actually a documentary. Well, there are a lot of documentaries on YouTube about the the history of New York City. And I actually did one episode with a friend of mine who is in architecture. And the episode was called The History of New York City and Its Resilience. And he talks about the urban planning side, how it started in downtown Manhattan first, and the history of the Central Park. Central Park has a very interesting history of itself. And because of this green space, it drives the value of its surrounding real estate even more because people are willing to pay higher price to get those residential condos or pay for those hotels surrounding this green space. I know in like Chicago, I I don't know the exact number of parks that they have in Chicago, but it's a lot. And I'm always kind of jealous of the other cities, how much parks they have because, well, First of all, in Las Vegas, we live in the desert. Um, we don't have a lot of green spaces and mm-hmm. our mountains don't really have any trees. It's it's like the desert climate, but the desert landscaping, it's beautiful. It's a different type of landscape. Actually, Las Vegas has some of the best hiking routes in the country because it's a different type of experience. Yeah, but we yeah, have- Yeah, that makes to- a lot of sense because I- um. When I think of Las Vegas, my first impression of Vegas, I, I actually been to Vegas with my family when I was like mm-hmm. really, really young, like around nine to 10 years old. Mm-hmm. So I don't even remember. But all I remember was people describe Las Vegas as like this giant mega hotels in the downtown, yeah. but the outskirts is just a barren desert land. Kind of reminds me of like the scenes from Breaking Bad. It's just like a barren land. Mm-hmm. I honestly would want to go back to Vegas just to visit after the whole, um, you know, yeah. flex starts mm-hmm. back up. And let me know where in Las Vegas. I can show you around. I can be your tour guy. And I can oh, take you uh, outside of the Las Vegas Strip because people who came to Vegas maybe 10, 15 years ago, yes, the Strip is still our city center. That's where all of the activities and hotels and casinos at but outside of the strip we have grown a lot we have summerland which is one of the best master planned community in the country it can be its own city if it wants to you know it's a huge master planned community Hmm. and then because of the population growth and all of these people are moving in from california our housing market is pretty hot right now and there are tons of housing constructions going on and we also have the the waiters we are actually doing a lot of sports activities right now um, we have our hockey team vegas night um i don't know well i mean if you're in canada you must follow hockey uh, i was watching a leafs game yesterday and then we lost three or four uh to the canadians do you see my screen yeah, yeah. So Dude. share some of the landmark and then what are some of the exciting developments going on? 
Yeah, for sure. But before we jump into that, I want to quickly let you know. So you mentioned about how like Chicago and New York have like a central park where it's like a protected green area, right?、Mm-hmm. Well, this kind of so basically this is the province of Ontario. Think of a province like a state, and Toronto is around here, and、wow. you see this green stuff. It's what we call green belt, and these are what natural conservation area that it can't be destructed. So、mm-hmm. we maintain these area. Is because they are very protected wildlife habitat, and the area that's not in green, these are usually like where the cities are and highways are. So, what's interesting about Toronto is that some areas of the city is actually falls within the green belt. Oh, yeah. And is the green belt not allowed to be developed at all, or the government will slowly like allow some developments? Like per a certain period of time. So basically, the green belt isn't like a set all be all kind of thing, but it is open to development if the people living in an area wants it, and the government、okay. thinks that the area is ready for development. We did have a couple major development that was in the blocks. So one of them was the current provincial government wanted to build a new highway across the. The upper、uh, around like northern Toronto, a little bit up of Toronto, and I think the residents were not happy because think about a massive like highway just cutting through the green area. Like、mm-hmm. I don't think environmental scientists will be happy. The residents won't be happy, and also like the indigenous people who also have land control might not be happy that the homes might be in the way. So we have like this area that's known as Rosedale. Let me quickly kind of share.、Uh, Rosedale is kind of like if you want to talk about like an area similar to Central Park, like we have Rosedale.、Uh, Who's your favorite developer or、uh, architect?、Mm-hmm. Architect, I would say is、uh, I can't pronounce this person's name. It's called this one. See, this guy. Oh.、Uh, B I G, yeah.、Big. I just can't pronounce his name. You know, he doesn't have an American name, but his firm. I think their headquarter is in New York City. It's called Big, the short form name of the、yeah. architect. And actually, one of my favorite architects, Kai, he works for this firm as a partner, and he came to Las Vegas two years ago. For a lecture, for like a guest lecture, and I actually I was one of the attendees, and I listened to his lecture. So, oh, nice!、Yeah. Uh, did you but, like but, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because the way he describes architecture, he say it's unformed. You know how everybody talks about architecture is a form, like it's a shape, like a physical structure in your mind. But what he was saying in his guest lecture is the Unformed, because in order to be creative and think differently, you have to forget about all of the the typical mindsets or views of what a building should look like. Because if you keep thinking it the same way, you're going to build the same buildings over and over again. Then you cannot break through your invisible walls and be more creative. So the word that he used was unformed. Kind of like you know, putting water in a glass cup. Then the water will have this shape as the glass cup. 
but you have to get the water out, and then you'll be free. And the water, then you can put it in any form that you want. But if you keep limit your mindset in that glass, the water will only always be that glass shape. So a lot of the projects that he showed us on the presentation is thinking architecture from a different angle. A lot of the people, like one of the buildings that he did, I don't remember the name, but it's on Upper West Side in New York City. It's a residential building. You know, the way most people look at a the building, they look at the front, the back, you know, the 360 degree outside look. But the video that he showed us, he viewed it from the top or inside out from a window. It's different than what the general public look at of a piece of architecture. They always have these angles within this building that when you look at it, it was like, oh, wow, this is beautiful. Why didn't I look at it from this angle this way? So Yeah, I think like, um, oh, what I'm sharing on the screen is one of the projects that uh, the big group designed in Toronto called Kings mm -hmm. Toronto. And okay. this actually kind of goes back to the, uh, isn't that pretty? Yeah. Where basically, it has like the form. Mm -hmm. And I think this architectural form came from the uh, Montreal Expo 67 called Habitat 67. Can you still see my screen? Or, yeah, yeah, I can still see it. Mm -hmm. Do you see the Habitat 67? Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Look at the picture. Yeah. it's. I think it took inspiration. And what's funny was the back in the day, Habitat 67, when it was first constructed, it was one of the most expensive projects in Canada at the time. And the architect was considered like uncreative, you know, because think about it, like from the outside, it's just concrete blocks and mm -hmm. stacked up each other. It was very unconventional. But over time, people really appreciate this architecture because the buildings actually located in the island off the city of Montreal. So uh -huh. basically, think of it like an exclusive zone, like where yeah. the, the rich people kind of like live here so mm -hmm. it created like this prestige from the outside it might not look pretty but i get what you mean like you like this is each person's home so they can decorate whatever they want and over time people i think grow to appreciate it right when was this building built what year because i've also seen like similar projects in shanghai and there are like a bunch of these pictures on instagram did it, it became a trend Let's go to Wikipedia. Yeah. Sorry, I don't know uh, a lot of things off my head, but I'll make assumption that it was... Oh, 1967? Yeah. And this reminds me of another topic. How do you design a building that is timeless? Interesting. Um, so you know opinion, how like in yeah. fashion... You know, yeah. there's a fast fashion and there's a classic version of it. And then in art, you know, we have the, the classic the oil painting, maybe from the 18th century. But nowadays we have the digital art or modern art or street art, performance art. And I think architecture is also a form of art. And how do you make it timeless? So one of the developers that I always talk about in my podcast is everybody knows because I'm based in Las Vegas, is Steve Wynn and his design partner, Roger Thomas. And when they designed the Wynn and Encore buildings, a word that they used 
was timeless. They wanted to make the architecture of these buildings timeless. And actually, when the Wien Hotel opened in 2005, a lot of people didn't like the design of it. But fast forward to 2021, architecture is subjective. So maybe there are, you know, people have different opinions about it. But I think Wien and Encore are the finest buildings on the Las Vegas Strip. So hmm. for a project like this, like, 1967 to now the building itself haven't changed it's the same building it but it's people's perspective or the way people think or i i don't know how to explain this but yeah for sure i i think this is just my opinion you know i never really like you know my background wasn't in really architecture or any of like urban planning believe it or not but we can get that i can explain more uh later in this podcast like we'll go into that but you know, uh, first and foremost, like my name is Art, so I love like I just like. I'm so sorry, Art. I uh, forgot to ask you to introduce yourself. Um, welcome back to Creative Talks Commercial Real Estate Podcast. Today, I have my friend Art here. Hi, Art. Would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, for sure. So my name is Art. I currently work as a database manager in Toronto with a company called Urban Toronto. We're one of the largest online media company serving the real estate and construction industry. And my role there is actually um, to find out upcoming development and keep every all the readers up to date and happy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, check it out. It's called urbantoronto.ca. Yeah. We'll make sure we'll drop a link in the description. Yes. Urbantoronto.ca. I will make sure to put this link in the show notes. So everybody, please go check it out. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, that was so funny. Um, don't worry. Like it's our conversation went so well that you literally lost in time, you know. It's not funny. Like we call this like the concept of flow. Well, you mm-hmm. you have such a great time that you don't even keep looking at the clock. And then you realize, oh wow, that was like an hour almost. Well, granted, yeah. we've only been speaking for like almost half an hour, but we got a lot to talk about. I don't know why. Yeah. <laughs> but oh. yeah. Well, yeah, just just talk about whatever you are interested in, and you, you don't have to worry about my flow. You know, I can talk about anything. You know, no, you know honestly, my podcast. Actually... I have like a million different topics that we can talk about. But I just want to make sure my guest feels comfortable, and they they can talk about whatever they like. No, for sure, and you know, I think this calls for like a two point in the future. But because I I'm always full of like topics, and I was really like. When you describe like this unformed architecture, that really reminds me like, I think today's, my opinion is I think architectures today are very more bold than before. So if you think about it, there are many cool projects that are happening in Toronto and I'll quickly screen share. Yeah. So um, like, so oh, can, can you see a, my uh, the, yeah, the website? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I know what you mean. Yep. So when I say bold is are, people might still think, oh, architect today, what is the role of architect? All they do is drop boxes on the land. I mean, yes, that is correct and formed. But one way I think architects think about is like, okay, how does the design serve its people living there, also working there? Mm-hmm. To make sure that the one, the design adheres to the city guideline, you know, you want to make sure that the city allows you to build the height appropriate with the amount of angular plane. 
Number two is how do you differentiate one building than the other, mm-hmm. right? Because I think, for example, the iconic Eiffel Tower in Paris. So the Eiffel Tower is such an iconic structure that if you see it in the movies or paper or see it on like a postcard, people think, "Oh, that's France. That's mm-hmm. Paris." Mm-hmm. And when we think about the Statue of Liberty, that is New York,、yeah. or although there is one in Japan too, Tokyo. And then,、oh, I didn't、uh, know that.、Ooh. Yeah, which is crazy. And then CN Tower, Toronto. So these architects, in a way, kind of market like these structures in a way that's like bold and kind of differentiates a city by city, right? Yeah, that that's a great topic that we can expand a little bit. Some of my favorite. Rooms on Clubhouse are the architecture rooms.、And、really? Yes,、yeah, architects they have a lot of creative ideas, and they always talk about the future, the design, creativity. And then one thing that I heard somebody say it is that how do you distinguish city by city? Because a lot of the modern buildings right now, if we just show you a picture of a building, a modern building. A lot of these buildings are very similar that you cannot tell which city it's located in. And then one of the quote I learned from these rooms is that the building itself should reflect the city that it's in.、Mm-hmm. Whether it's culture elements or in the nature elements of it, or something that it should reflect the city that it's in. That is how you blend the、uh, the building itself within the community, right? So that's an interesting point that、mm-hmm. um, you talk about the city by city, and a lot of the great architectures that I really like are in developing countries or secondary or tertiary cities that don't have a very complicated zoning codes. For example, one of my favorite architects, her name is Zaha Hadi. I don't、uh, know whether you heard of her. Yeah, Zaha, Z A H A. Hadi is H A D I D. Oh, I see it. I see it. Yes. Oh, nice.、Um... So she passed away a few years ago because of heart attack, I believe. And her firm is called Zaha Hadi Architects, and she did a lot of projects in China. So one of the development company that she used to partner up with, and I, I believe her firm still works with, is Soho China. And then if you scroll up a little bit, all the way up. Yeah, this is yeah, this is all up. Okay, go the the fourth picture on the right side, the、this、last、one? picture, the last one on the yes, this one is Soho China's building in Beijing. Wow, and it's one of her most famous buildings. And then she also designed it, or her firm also designed it, Beijing Daxing Airport that opened, it, I I believe, in twenty nineteen, fall of twenty nineteen. I haven't visited that airport yet because of the pandemic.、I、haven't traveled since spring of twenty twenty. So I really like her firm, and a lot of the the buildings. See that one? Yeah, that one is in Beijing. And if you Google Beijing,、um, Google Daxing Airport, D A X I N G. This one, right? Yeah. Oh, okay. I see the interior photo. Yes, Beijing Daxing International Airport. Yeah, go to the Google picture search result. 
It's amazing. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful piece of art. Whoa, that's so like. This reminds me of like those futuristic buildings that you see in sci-fi films, like science fiction films. Wow, this is interesting. Nice. And, and look at and look at the interior of it. She uses a lot of natural lighting, and it's very sustainable too. Another thing is that a lot of these amazing future forward-thinking architecture. It also requires a great construction team too. Because yeah, like in、um, commercial real estate, we know there's like a difference between rendering and the actual product. So look at the arch and the different angles that they designed on the roof. You know, yeah, every、um, pieces of glass of steels has an ID. I don't remember what's the number of. The the pieces that they have for that roof, but that roof is arch. And imagine putting all of those glass and steel that match up with each other. It's like a puzzle. You know what's interesting is I'm looking at this picture right now, and、mm-hmm. I really do see the uniqueness because when you think、yeah. about the modern construction, we often just think about precast straight up, right?、Mm-hmm. Whereas this one, you can tell the artist really thought about every tiny detail. You know,、yeah. on、mm-hmm. my here, a crisscross of the natural light glass, and then the curvy wavy、yeah. pattern. So they really put in into thinking. Also, they do in this way because one, it's probably zoning. I don't know what the Chinese zoning allows, but also I think today's people really appreciate like modern light compared、yeah. to before. But these futuristic rendering, like I'm not gonna lie, I often fall into the trap of like the hyper rendering. I'm like, oh my god, there are times where I look at like brochures. Mm-hmm. And I'll be like, wow! I really want to live here because the rendering、yeah. is so nice, and the marketing team is genius. You know, a lot of the developers. It's like, imagine, you know,、yeah. you woke up to smell of、yeah. coffee, you know, and then、yeah. open the sun, and、yeah. it's just like, wow! But then when you actually see the building, yeah, actually, the developers sometimes、yeah. it's actually one to one match. Sometimes、mm-hmm. might be off,、mm-hmm. but you know, I'll show you one hyperistic rendering we did a project.、Yeah. Oh yeah, and by the way, Dashin Airport is a complete product. So those pictures that you saw, this is a real picture. These are real. Oh、pictures. okay. Oh wow. I go, can't even go, tell. Go go to the YouTube session. There's a real video that it looks amazing. Funny, you know how you say that. Sometimes I can't even differentiate what renderings and the realness today. That's why I love her firm so much because all of these pictures that you think it's from like a movie, it's real picture. And then her firm also designed a casino in Macau.、Mm-hmm. So if you go to, I really need to show you this one, Zaha Hadi Macau. Type that in Google. Yeah, Zaha Hadi Macau. Look at that building, and you'll be like, "Is it's this real? But it is real." And it's, oh, is you know, this? The hotel called City of Dreams. Yes. Um. You、yeah. know what's funny? What a coincidence! This is a very coincidence. I have an older sibling, and I'm the youngest of all four siblings. My older sibling actually, at one point in her coincidence, she did study hospitality management. Yeah, and and she actually started her career in hospitality by working in Macau. In, I think the City of Dreams, and she did tell me like it was a beautiful building. But now I think it's the first time. Today I kind of know what City of Dream because I know、mm-hmm. 
from what I've known uh, and what she described was City of Dream is like a kind of like a giant master plan kind of thing. And mm-hmm. then it has tiny hotels with d- different yep. things. Is that true? Yep. It is like a master plan community. So this hotel, the Zahahadi designed it. It doesn't have a casino in it. It's just a hotel portion, but they have like a separate building for the casino. And they have a few other buildings surrounding it. Mm-hmm. But this one is the most unique one. Like if you go to City of Dream Macau and just look at all of the buildings in that master planet community, the one that Zahahadi designed it is the most unique one. Like just go to these pictures. You know, like the surrounding pictures, they're just like the modern, typical high rise that we see all the time. But none of, see, just look at this one. Yes, just look at this picture. You see, there are like one, two, three, four, five. Yeah, four, five. And then Zaha, these, it really stands out with the crisscross because the other one is all just glass building. Yeah. Uh, This also reminds me, I think like architectures are also limited. One you might encounter this often is that architecture have a lot of unlimited dreams, you know, mm-hmm. what they want to design. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, you have multiple people. Like city planners will break a lot of architects' heart. The biggest one, I would say, it's not the city planner, it's the construction and developer and the finance. Yeah. And because ultimately, think about it, like the architect is trying to create like a vision of what yeah. they want to build. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, the money portion of the investment, their yeah. goal is to maximize profit and to increase, in this case, hotels revenue per room, right? Mm-hmm. Per night. So, and what that means is sometimes you just have to get rid of a lot of space and just zone and create more bedrooms or yeah. you know more amenities. So that's why these rigid square buildings are often the norm because it really does work. And, you know, the real estate industry, I would say, is still quite conservative in terms of, like, thinking outside the box. Like, mm-hmm. you know, the practice has been like, oh, if it works, you know, 20 years ago and 10 years ago, why change it yeah. now? Right. Mm-hmm. And but I think people are starting to now appreciate originality, you know, and, you know, a little, little small step in originality helps. Like, for example, we are seeing the rise in pop tech, right? Even like smarter renderings. Or, you know, I, I think developers are now open to having like more mixed use type of development or even like in this case, in urban Toronto, like having a little bit of vegetation on the building, right? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Is this a rendering or is it a real building? No, it's a rendering. Uh, see, nowadays renderings look so real, like a real picture. I always have to ask, is it a rendering or is it a real picture? And go to the point where I talk about the money side and the architecture side. It's it's rare to find those developers who really have the passion towards design and also have the budget to hire great architects to design those pieces too. Yeah, no, for sure. I think like from a developer point of view, I wouldn't say like they're not uninterested. I think like the whole development process is such a risky like procedure right if you think about it and you know i think i I agree with you is that like i think developers should always partner up with an architect who are very visionary and Mm -hmm. can create a project that's like Mm -hmm. really like stands out to the public however like 
you know, the budget sometimes just won't allow it. And going back to what we said is that like a lot of developers also are just very risk averse because yeah. they were like, well, if this worked 20 years ago, why change mm-hmm. it now? And yeah. last but not least, uh, as much developers and architects want to work together and create the whole vision, sometimes the urban planners just takes yeah. a long time to get things approval. And yeah. when the timeline to get approval takes more than two years, well, a lot of the time, a lot of things has to be start be budgeted out. Like, well, yeah. cut the architectural fees by a little bit now, you know. And another thing is, that's why we see a lot of these great architectures in developing countries or second or treasury cities. Just think about the Las Vegas Strip. I mean, a lot of these great hotels that we see today were developed between the, the late 80s to before 2010. And even though Vegas is an international city, you know, everybody knows Las Vegas, but it's a very business-friendly state and it's also a much smaller town. So it's not like LA or New York City where you have to go through a lot of different steps in order to get a project approved. And and that actually, I want to add some point to that. So I know uh, you did mention about, you know, how Vegas is a very business friendly for developers mm-hmm. and LA is not. I would think like it all comes down to individuality of the city. But first and foremost, I think like real estate is still a very local business. Yeah. And it's very different from town to town. So yep. what you just described to me is similar to, so the way our uh, Toronto planning works is that one, first you submit your proposal. Mm-hmm. If you want to check your location is zoned for residential or commercial. Mm-hmm. If it's mm-hmm. not, you have to get a rezoning. Uh, and then, then you have to go through site plan approval. The mm-hmm. city, then you go back and forth between the city and said, hey, are we allowed to build this X amount of height? And then, and the city is like, sure. But in return, you might need to dedicate some space for parkland. Parkland mm-hmm. essentially is like green space. And then some developers might not like it. And then mm-hmm. we have this process called LPAT, which is called the Local Planning Appeals Tribunal, which mm-hmm. essentially says if the city denies your planning application, you can then go to LPAT and get an appeal and justify your reason why your development should be built. Mm-hmm. And think of it like a mini court. Mm-hmm. And, then, and then, yeah, so on forth. So then that whole process can take years. You negotiate between the city on the amount of units, the parking requirement, the height, mm-hmm. the design guideline, even bicycle parking, how many racks you need, you know, um, you know setbacks, just tons yeah. of things, right? Yeah. Um, but then if you move to the western part of Canada in Vancouver, uh, um, there's this thing called Vancouverism, where the developers then work with really work closely with the city. They don't really have the LPAT system. And that's actually where I was from originally. It's a beautiful city. It's kind of landlocked next to the ocean, mm-hmm. and beautiful mountain. But the urban planning is that they create like this environment where the community is very like livable, yeah. walkable, and even like the condominiums that's being built, it's more family oriented. So think mm-hmm. about like when we build like a condo, developers mm-hmm. first mind is, okay, how can I try to sell to the target market? And mm-hmm. oftentimes also, they also think about what ways we can like build more units so that mm-hmm. we can generate more profit. 
And in return, that idea sometimes is not the greatest because then the developer might build a lot of like one bedroom studios, mm-hmm. and that's not very young. Right. So Vancouver, what they do is okay. They were like, okay, well, if you want to build a condo here, you should provide like a child-friendly amenity, like a community center nearby. Have more, you know, three bedroom units. And make sure that there's enough green space for people can you know walk the dog, mm-hmm. um, and the whole idea it's called Vancouverism. It's hard to describe Vancouverism in like an hour, but that's there's like even a whole book about it. Yeah, this book. That yeah. can be yeah. our next episode. Yeah, <laughs> Vancouverism, yeah. which is very interesting because they kind of create this like mixed use development idea. Mm-hmm. There was a famous YouTuber on. It's called, I think. Um, let me let me you take a look. Send, yeah, send. You can send the the link to me later. It's called City it's, Beautiful. So City Beautiful had a whole video about Vancouverism, uh, and it, it you know the title is "Is Vancouver the best city in North America?" Um, now, don't get me wrong. Vancouverism is like a great approach to urban planning. However, it does pose a lot of challenges. Number one is the affordability, right? You know, Vancouver mm-hmm. always been consistently ranked as one of the least affordable housing market in Canada. Um, some would argue a lot of different factors. And, but one of the biggest, I would say, critique is that they don't allow high supply of housing. So, you know, from an economic standpoint, you know, to solve the affordable yeah. crisis, you know, a lot of economists would be like, well, that just increased housing supply. Yeah. It is one way to do it. But the other way is, you know, Vancouverism is such a unique idea in urban planning. Sometimes the developer might have to go in negotiate with the city for a long, long time, right? So it's not like a quick and easy process, right? Yeah. Interesting. And go back to where you're based at um toronto how's the urban planning do you guys have anything similar to that i'm just trying to think about the toronto development market how many how many new development projects are you guys writing about on urban toronto and i would like to learn more about urban toronto too yeah for sure so i i think i shared on my uh, linkedin feed i think two weeks ago i'm not too sure but as of like the Q1 of 2021, the city of Toronto, like we compiled like a mini monthly report. And in Q1, the city of Toronto proposed, proposed. So these are the applications that submitted to the city, mm-hmm. proposed uh, up to 11,000 dwelling units. Okay. Okay. And roughly about, uh, the, 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 let me. Yeah, you can pull up your LinkedIn or the, the Urban Toronto website. But I see you guys have a pretty cool website that has a lot of beautiful pictures on there. Honestly, I love a lot of the hyper-realistic rendering. Uh, honestly, when I look at a lot of these plants, I just get excited. It's like, wow, yeah. I can't believe this is coming to our city. But I remember I spoke to one developer and he says, Art, remember, these are just renderings. They're not real. Yeah. They're just kind of like the beautiful brochure that you get, right? Yeah. Uh, it always comes down to the end product. So I've been seeing too many news or renderings or ideas that now I don't get excited anymore because I know that it always comes down to the end product. I used to live in New York City. A lot of the buildings that say claim to be luxury apartments, 
actually the interior sucks. And they call it luxuries because it's the high construction cost, it's the land price, you know, the labor cost, the the construction cost that makes these development projects expensive. But it doesn't mean they spend that money in interior design. Some of these luxury apartment, quote unquote, luxury apartment projects, I mean, they hired a big name architecture firm. It's a great developer to have a pretty good track record. But if you look at their interior design, the interior design sucks. They're not spending money on the right thing. A lot of the developers, they are not focusing on the interior design. And interior design is such a big part of the entire development. But you don't hear developers talking about how beautiful the architecture piece is, the, the design piece. Yeah, but I think, like, I honestly feel, I think, like, the general perception of, in, first and foremost, I think, like, uh, many people might look at, like, architecture as a holistic form it's like oh you just design building but then when you tell people that there's uh interior designer they might think oh so what do you really do interior designer like decorate the place but that is not true because i found out interior designer makes sure the the interior fits the right amount of people you know because mm-hmm. you want room occupancy also make mm-hmm. sure the exits and the entryway is yep. accessible for everybody no inclusion yeah. the last but not least the materials that's going to yes. be inside the building one has to look aesthetically pleasing number two fire safe because imagine a fire breaks out and or flooding you don't want your whole building just to you know yes um get destroyed right and then last but not least landscape architecture you know they're important too because they want to make sure the transit vehicles like ambulance fire trucks can get through or if you are operating like a hotel, for example, you want to make sure the the exit and the entryway behind the restaurant or the bar can actually allow like big 18-wheeler truck to come in and unload the food safely, right? And even the landscaping is important. Like many people think, oh, landscaping is not that important. Or maybe we are like, oh, the lawn doesn't need care. Well, yes, it does because you know, when you walk into a building, what's the first thing you see? The outside. Yeah. Uh, and people already make a lot of um, critiques on, oh, okay, is this building nice? If the copy appeal doesn't look good, I don't think mm-hmm. many people will go visit that destination, right? That's why, like, I'll keep, like, one iconic hotel in Vegas that really sucks in my mind is the Bellagio. Bellagio. Thank you. So Bellagio does a good job is, they have this like wonderful water show and it makes you stop as a tourist or even a local and just kind of watch. And then you realize, wow, this is just the outside. Mm-hmm. This is just the outside. You haven't even gone inside. The outside mm-hmm. already impressed you. It's going to now draw your attention, right? And I heard like, was Blasio created by Steve too? Steve Wayne? Yes, yes. And because it, you know, the Blasio really, first of all, the, the name sounds really cool. And, and two, and I think like it's one of those like iconic buildings that just stuck in people's head when you think of Vegas, right? It's yeah. I think like the building itself kind of just created this marketing material for Vegas, and yes. it takes Vegas out of like the the casino industry to now a more formal destination tourism, right? Because yes. when we think of like you know to this day, you know there's still not a lot of people who think casino is an acceptable type of business because you are. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a whole negative aspect to it. You know, we don't have to get to it, but but 
it's not like a really, you know, it's still considered deviant activity that society is still looks on. But then now mm-hmm. Vegas really took that idea and turned to more of a tourism friendly aspect, mm-hmm. right? Right. So, and I think a good developer does that because you can change the whole landscape of an industry by creating such an iconic building, right? And don't get me wrong, uh, you have a lot of famous developers in history. One notable, you have. You know, Steve Wang from the casino industry. You had St- Stephen Ross, yeah, um, yeah mm-hmm. the Hudson's Yard. And mm-hmm. then you had Mohammed Hadid, Bella and Gigi Hadid's father, who is mega mansion developer. And then last but not least, you had, um, uh, who else? Uh, the Larry Trump Silverstein, family. Larry Silverstein, developer of the, the World Trade Center. Yeah. And then you have the Trump family. They were always in real estate for a long time. So I think. But those are like the top, top, top 0.1% among all of the other developers. Yeah. That is correct. And and I agree. And I think people, you know, look up to like, wow, real estate is such a lucrative industry. You know, they're thinking, wow, if I can just acquire land, build the building and then sell them and make huge bucks that's what people think about development easy money everybody who works in development is rich and everybody flocks to that mm-hmm. what it's interesting was every single day there's always left right center new developer coming you know developers can range from the top one percent like we just described to big local names mm-hmm. and developers can even be like mom and pop shops like mm-hmm. a four-man team yeah. right anybody can be because the barrier entry is I wouldn't say developer barrier entry is low. It's still mm-hmm. quite high, but depends on the type of the project. There is just an acceptable market. So if you want to, heck, even I think like if you want to tear down your old house and turn it into a bigger mm-hmm. house, some would say that's a development, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Right. So you can work with whatever the money is accepted. Now, mm-hmm. The reason why people also overlooked a lot of uh, other professions like architect landscape. And it's funny, every day there's a new developer coming onto the scene. And there isn't a lot of architect firms and planning firms to be popped up. So mm-hmm. what ends up happening is a lot of these local firms in Toronto ends up getting bombarded with more work because plan uh, developers are just submitting the um, proposal to the city at a record mm-hmm. rate, right? Mm-hmm. So these architecture firms are just bombarded. So many times when I look at these like proposals, they often list out this, the top five uh, architectural firms I recognize off the bat. Mm-hmm. A planning firm, it's like, of course, you want to, if you want to be in the real, like the industry, like it's a great time to be like an architect, even in Toronto, of course, various by city, like a development it's nice to be a planner because you're just going to get tons of work, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, I was going to say something and then I forgot it. Oh, another set developers. And I think I'm okay to say this because I'm in development. Developers, we just know how to put people together, put a team together. I, I feel like we're more of a, a deal person. Lead and have that vision and bring the team together. And that's what I think developers do. Yeah. Um, bring. No, that, that's interesting observation. And I do notice that. I think a lot of developers, you know, were like to become a very good developer, I've noticed that one, one, you have to be very good at dealing with problem solving. 
very good. And you have to be great at dealing with individuals and people because you're going to be working with a lot of professions that might not see eye to eye to a lot of things. Number three, and you know, I was looking up at this. They say to be a great developer, you just need to be a good Excel person, Excel, and also be great in numbers because you want to make sure everything's in line with the budgets. It's funny you mentioned that. I think a lot of, I could be wrong, but I think a lot of developers I've met in the past in, in Toronto, there were a lot of them were formerly like architect who saw the potential in making money in that field, or they all did like, you know, finance, you know, they studied finance or had an MBA, yeah. but a lot of them also previously worked in like investment banking where it's yeah. very like deal-oriented type of environment where you're kind of like the facilitator. You're just facilitating deals. So yeah. the stress aspect, they can handle well, right? Yeah. But not all, but yeah. I agree with the, the point you made about the background. And here's a question I have for you. For the ones who came from a finance and investment banking backgrounds, how's the design of their buildings? Do you think they're good or they're the typical modern style that you see everywhere else? So I think like the design and aspect, there isn't like, I wouldn't categorize people like, oh, this developer came from finance background. So the type of building he designed is this way, case by case scenario. So for example, you know, um, when you have a finance oriented uh, developer, they might try to cut costs in some ways and form. Mm -hmm. And that is acceptable, right? Because there's a lot of things like, for example, let me ask you, like, would you, um, you know, try to cut costs and like admin fees in some ways? Like you would, right? Because you would want to not spend money on something you don't need. Mm-hmm. And then what, what, what do you do with that money you save? Is it going to go into your pocket or are you going to dedicate that extra money into more architectural stuff? They can have that thinking. But also sometimes it's not the developer wants to be cheap or cut costs. Sometimes the, the limited partner in the deal by deal might demand tons of money up front. And they're like, well, we won't back you in this project if you don't hit yeah. like 15% IRR in the second hurdle, yeah. right? You know, and then because the first hurdle rate always have to be six to 8% pref, right? So, you know, a lot of developers are under this duress to be like, well, shoot, I can't even create the building I want without losing money. And the developer, the, the limited partner will be not so happy if I don't give them yep. the 15%, right? Yeah, and I understand. Yeah. yeah, so in culture at the development firm also plays a big role. So, right, so, you know, there are great firms in Toronto. Let me quickly share my screen. Uh, yeah. So Slate Asset Management is a real estate firm in Toronto. They do a lot of private equity, but they also is part of the development. And I I am currently subscribed to the managing director of development at Slate Asset Management for like a daily newsletter. And and he was actually a formerly practicing architect. His name is Brandon Donnelly. I loved his everyday's newsletter. He was a formerly practicing architect and now works in the development side. He also got his uh, degree at Wharton. I think it was the business school. Yeah. And basically, I like this project the most, the Junction House. I don't know. I just find like it's a mid-rise, very family-oriented. The design is, sure, it looks boxy, but but you can tell like it has a lot of 
you know, the interior is really nice. Hopefully, they're not cutting costs. Because, That's like, the rendering, right? Yeah, the rendering. And then well, the, nowadays these renderings look so real, like real pictures. I know, right?、Um, yeah, the, it's the upcoming condos come one desolate. The、uh, the li- uh, lilac can't pronounce it anyway. <laughs> um. Yeah. Oh, it's okay. Like, don't worry about it. Art, you know, I don't even call myself a podcaster because I don't speak proper English. <laughs> honestly, um, same here. I I honestly didn't know what the podcast are, but I really like this、uh, format where we just kind of free flow. But yeah,、oh, yeah, look at this. Like, look at this building design. It has a lot of ground, you know, walkable yeah, retail, ground floor retail.、Mm-hmm. Yeah, and. It's just being proposed right now, so it's going、mm-hmm. back and forth through the city, and you know, just because the firm was, you know, Slate is also a good example. Just because a firm is very finance focused doesn't mean like they're gonna be cheap on the development side. Like they can still create good projects. And what is the person's background was?、Uh, let me quickly take a look. It it really depends on the people. In that firm,、yeah. the the people created the culture. It's not the firm that created the culture. It's the people in the firm created the culture. He did a bachelor's of art in architecture at University of Toronto, and then a master of architecture at the University of Pennsylvania, and then got his MBA at the University of Toronto. He has that architecture, that creative thinking side of him, but he also has the the business side of him. With that MBA, so he he's going to be a great developer. He has both sides of the equation. No, and I I absolutely love what he does in the firm, and and you know, hence I subscribe to his、uh, daily newsletter every day, and、uh, I I look forward looking,、uh, you know, reading his content. It's really interesting because he did open my eyes. Honestly, I gotta give him thanks, kudos to him for allowing me to kind of gain my interest into the real estate. If it wasn't for him,、uh, I wouldn't know the whole big bar real estate industry is beyond just like HGTV and residential, right? So, what were some of the things he talks about in his newsletter? Oh, like is it、awesome. more like design stuffs, or is it more like news articles of the Toronto market? What is it about? So it's a mix of both. So he does the diving into the the current market in Toronto in some of the previous、uh, newsletter. And he also shares interesting architects that、um, you know. Love that. Can... Yeah, I think you might find it very interesting if you're into like both architect and real estate, and this is like a blend of both. Yeah, that's what I'm trying to do with my Substack newsletter too. So, so he has his own website, his blog. But I,、yeah. I'm doing it on Substack, but mine is more US focused, and I always, you know. I always talk about Las Vegas history, so that's what I'm trying to do too. Yep. You know what strikes me interesting is when I think of Las Vegas, it's like a very touristy town, and the fact that you lived there is very surprising. Because the last time I、yeah. heard somebody lived there was the CEO of Zappos. Remember? Oh yeah, Tony、um, Shea. Unfortunately,、yep. passed away.、Um, mm-hmm. But when I think of living in Vegas, like it reminds me of one movie I saw a while back. I forgot the title, but. Basically, the the film kind of like zooms out of Vegas, and basically 
from the outside, when we think of Vegas, we often think of the Strip, the beautiful Strip. But yeah. then outside of it, it's just a suburb in like the middle of a desert. Yeah, it's kind of true. You know, we we are in the middle of the desert, but the Strip is where all of the activities are at. But you know, if you drive, let's say, 15, 20 minutes and you get to the residential area. And mm. it's kind of like just a residential town that you see in Midwest America. You know, you have single family homes development. You have master planned community. You have garden style multifamily. We have 50 golf courses in the Las Vegas Valley. I don't know why we have so many golf courses in the desert, but we also have like wet walk. We have some desert landscaping. We don't have that much green space compared to Toronto, but it's a different type of climate and landscaping. So outside of the Strip is a friendly, nice, calm, stress-free residential town. Yeah, yeah. Like that's, I think that's what the the overall, you know, character of Vegas is like. It's like, you know, when we think of downtown, it's like, oh, it never sleeps. But, you know, Mm -hmm. when I think of the residential Vegas, like... Yeah, you can probably acquire a property there for yeah. like a fraction of what you get in LA, right? Because LA yeah, is very, exactly. you know. Yeah, that's why a lot of people moving to Vegas from California. I mean, you know, people who live in LA or San Francisco. San Francisco. I mean, I used to live in New York. And after I graduated, like the day after my final exams, I went straight to the airport and I came back to Vegas. I'm like, I'm done living in New York. It's fun to visit New York, but living there is a different story. And I feel like living in such an urban city, it's it make it make me feel so stressful when I was living in New York. I don't know why. It I don't know what is the big environment. Like once you're in that environment, when everybody else surrounding you walks so fast, talks fast, eat fast, they do everything so fast. And they're a little bit aggressive, you know, New Yorkers. And then me, I'm like, oh, I, I just felt the pressure of being yeah. so and, you know, my West Coast vibe. Yeah. So I would say like very the polar opposite. Like I love uh, open dwelling. First and foremost, I'm just going to put out for me. You know, living in like a quiet residential suburb is just, I don't know. I just can't, it's too quiet. There's no activity. Okay. I have to add a lot of people think about the suburb. So the suburb of Vegas, I mean, outside the strip, it's not, it's not like the suburb of Texas, you know, outside the strip, we have grocery stores, we have bowling alleys, we have Costco, we have, you know, shopping malls, we have lots of restaurants. It's it's like some of those residential neighborhoods of Toronto, but not downtown Toronto. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. yes. So, like, I, I know what you mean in that sense. Like, we call those, like, you know, suburbs. And then in the, these amenities are usually in the center of what we know as BIA, Business Improvement yeah. District uh, Area, or BIA. <laughs> and these are where, like, you do your local grocery shopping, your... Yeah. pharmacies are and your entertainment like movie theater and restaurants but we have all that we have all that all of that in the residential part of las vegas too i think so the residential part of las vegas think about Times square as a yeah. city center and then and then you have think about you know the upper west side upper east side not downtown manhattan but somewhere what's that called some something village like the soho area Oh, Greenwich like, Village. Yeah, Greenwich gr- Village. yeah, those type of areas in Manhattan, those are like 
you know, people live in those areas, but but it's not the tourist who will go to those areas to to visit Times Square. You know, the Times Square yeah, is like the yeah. Las Vegas Strip. But we are not like the suburb of New Jersey or you know somewhere in Long Island or Brooklyn that is so far away. So because Las yeah. Vegas is pretty small, think about this. It's like I can drive from the north end of Vegas to the south end of Vegas in an hour. That's that's how big this entire city is. We only have like two point five something million people in Vegas. So, no, that's interesting. So uh, when I say living in the city, you know, I think people often have the misconception is living in the city is like downtown, downtown core. Mm-hmm. Although that is convenient, but it does get noisy. So when I say living in the city, it can be even like, you know. Not downtown core, but you can live like five minutes away from the downtown. So probably yeah. like a little bit outside of it. Mm-hmm. But as long as you live within like a, a lot of mixed use apartment with below yeah. grade is like convenience store, restaurants. Mm-hmm. You know, then next to it is like the subway station. Mm-hmm. I love those because I, you yeah. know, one don't really like driving, and mm-hmm. two, um, convenience is why I grew up with. So like. You know, when I before I immigrated to Canada, I lived in Asia for like I think, yeah, eight to nine years. Oh um, wait, oh so do you speak Mandarin? Yeah, I speak Mandarin like pretty fluent, but I just can't write well. Uh, I can speak uh, Mandarin too, but I cannot write well neither. When I also lived in Vancouver, I also lived in like suburbs where had tons of uh, transit. And yeah. from where I lived in Vancouver, getting into downtown Vancouver was one bus away it would oh. take only 40 minutes on the bus uh-huh. one bus from my house to downtown and back so right. when i think of the suburb i would never be able to live in like car automobile with the cul-de-sac mm-hmm. you know everything you do has to be on like car you know yeah yeah right yeah now, well mid- midwest america is all about cars but if i get what you mean yeah and then when I went to university, I went to University of Waterloo, which is like actually an hour south from Toronto. And, mm-hmm. you know, when I was living off campus, it was super convenient. Like from yeah. my house, walking to like the uptown Waterloo, mm-hmm. which is considered the, the, the business improvement district, has tons of restaurants, great bars, mm-hmm. you know, shopping. And it was 10 minutes away by foot. And then the city of Waterloo Kitchener then started developing an RRT like a light rail ion, like a streetcar. Uh-huh. And coincidentally, it was next to my house. Uh-huh. So I could like hop on the train yeah. and then and then go all the way to the end of the city in like less than 20 minutes because mm-hmm. the, the, the streetcar allowed right-of-way passage. So uh-huh. in a traffic situation, they always go yeah. first. Yeah. So I'm, I'm always like number one into the, the urban dwelling. So... You know, you know what, Art? I think we can do multiple episodes in the future. Yeah. We can continue this conversation. Yeah, and sure. then, we, we, you know, we can talk here for five hours, but I don't think people would like to listen to one five-hour episode. Um, no, but- uh, honestly, thank you so much, uh, Minja, for hosting. I look forward to a future conversation. It's been very fun. I really love it. Like the city of Toronto is still in a lockdown mode, believe it or not. Like we're still in lockdown. Like, yeah. Really? It's like a stay-at-home order where nothing's actually open. So restaurants are only available for takeout. Uh, a lot of entertainment options are closed, limited hours. And a lot of uh, retailers are curbside only. 
Once you joined Clubhouse, you should join me and Jeremy for our book club discussion. You know, the book discussion about you know history stuff, and he can talk about any topics for five hours. So, so you should definitely mm-hmm. join us. And then maybe next time I can invite. One or two of my other friends on here as well, and we can have like a group discussion because episodes like this are my favorite because there's no set topic. You know, we have like an overall picture. You know that we know we're going to talk about Toronto, but you know, there's no like set bullet point. So we just go from yeah, I, you know, I think you just should, uh, go go with the flow. No, awesome. No, I really love this、uh, episode. It's just you know, kind of. Get to know each other, also kind of、yeah. pick each other's brain. And the other one is, you should title this podcast like, I don't know,、uh, up to you. you. I'm I'm sure you're the master podcast creator. No. What What would you like to title this episode? I'm gonna leave that to you because you're the one that has to draw people attention to listen to this, right? Um. Yeah. I have to I have to think about it because we talk about all sorts of different topics. Take your time. I'm excited to hear once the、uh, episode is up on the Apple Podcast, and then、mm-hmm. yeah, I'm looking forward to it. But awesome, right,、uh, Art. So, do you listen to an episode on Apple Podcast? Some episode, actually, some episode. So, do you remember one podcast you did with Ground Lease with Anastasia? I really like、yes. that episode.、Oh. Funny enough, we so my team. It was funny. We did a ground lease proposal for a, a case competition. I think a couple months back,、mm-hmm. and we had to explain to the judges what a ground lease was. The judges at the time wasn't sure what the heck was a ground lease,、mm-hmm. and then we had to explain. Oh, well, ground lease is essentially it's like a contract that you sign for nine nine years that you lease the land. So it's like a lease, and what makes the development more cost efficient because instead of paying upfront a lot of cost for the land acquisition.、Mm-hmm. You just pay like a monthly leasing cost, right? Yeah.、Mm-hmm. So, but it's such a novel idea that the judges、um, wasn't a fan, so we didn't qualify for the finals round. But I think ground lease will be like a very popular alternative financing option in the future. Yeah. Yes, and don't worry if you guys didn't win that competition because in real life, you know, in real deals, ground lease happens. You know, it exists in a in a lot of the commercial real estate deals, and actually. Even in new cities like Las Vegas, you know our city is not relatively old compared to like New York, but downtown Vegas has ground leases, and even on the Las Vegas Strip, I I can see how it's going to be will become a more of a ground lease or gaming weed play, where the operator of the casino doesn't own the land anymore. You know, because when land price gets so expensive, you just need to find alternative ways to come up with your capital stack, alternative financing options. So, yep. Yeah, I think I, that's a whole discussion itself. On yeah. Its own,、uh, yeah. Yeah, that could be a future episode, and we maybe、yeah. we can invite Anastasia again, and we can talk about you know. Yeah. Um. Please do. Honestly, we should do more episode, and then like I want to、yeah. meet like all these people we talk to, and then see you know like who knows. But yeah.、Yep. And, yeah, and I look forward to see you joining Clubhouse, and then you know join the CRE Three Minute News Club, and then we also have an NYU Shack Alumni Club on Clubhouse that we do all of these commercial real estate rooms, and we talk to different people. So we look forward to see you joining us. Awesome! Thank you so much for having me. Thank you once again.、Uh, I look forward to、um, future episode, and always、yeah. keep in touch. Thank you. Yes, thank you, thank you, Art, and I will definitely invite you again. Don't you worry. <laughs>
Well, ciao. Thank and you. Have a, and happy weekend. Oh, uh, you too. What time is it right now in Vegas? Is it like it's nine thirty four a.m. Oh wow, it's already twelve thirty here. But yeah, yeah. Awesome. <laughs> Bye, Art. Bye bye.